Chapter twenty seven of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. By Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter twenty seven. London from April till September, eighteen twenty two. Cataract of Niagara. Rattlesnake. I fall at the edge of the abyss. I remained two days in the Indian village, whence I wrote a letter to M. de Malzerbe. The Indian women were occupied in different ways at work. Their infants were suspended in wicker baskets from the branches of a large purple beech. The grass was covered with dew, the wind came laden with perfume from the forests, and the cotton plants with their hanging pods resemble white rose trees. The breeze rocked the airy cradles with almost imperceptible motion. The mothers rose occasionally to see whether their children still slept, or whether they had been awakened by the birds. From the Indian village to the cataract was reckoned a distance of between three and four leagues. It took myself and my guide as many hours to reach it. When we approached within six miles of it, I could see a column of vapour indicating the spot of the fall. My heart beat with a joy mingled with terror as I entered the wood which concealed from my eyes one of the grandest sights ever offered by nature to man. We alighted, and leading our horses by the bridle, passed through bushes and thicket, and reached the bank of the river Niagara, seven or eight hundred feet above the fall. I continued to move forward, and the guide seized me by the arm, and stopped me at the very edge of the water, which flowed by with the rapidity of an arrow. It did not foam, but glided in one smooth mass to the very edge of the precipice. Its silence before its fall formed a striking contrast with the noise of the fall itself. Scripture often compares a nation to great waters. The Niagara above the fall is the emblem of a dying nation, deprived of all power of voice by its agony, hurrying on to the abyss of eternity. The guide continued to hold me back, for I felt myself drawn, as it were, towards the river, and urged by an involuntary impulse to throw myself into it. I looked now up along the shore, now down towards the island, which rose suddenly amidst the vast plain of waters, dividing them as if they had been cleft in the sky. After standing for about a quarter of an hour in a confused reverie of undefined admiration, I proceeded to the fall. My ideas and impressions of it will be found in the Essai sur les Révolutions and in Atala. Now there are good roads leading to the cataract, inns on the American and English shores, mills and manufactories below the chasm. At the time I saw it, none of these were in existence. I had no utterance for the thoughts which agitated me at the sight of such sublime confusion. In the desolate solitude of my early life, I was forced to invent personages to embellish it. I drew from the sources of my own mind, ideal beings whom I found nowhere else, creatures of my own imagination. Thus with the cataract of Niagara I have associated recollections of Atala and René, like the expression of its solemnity and sadness. What is a cascade eternally falling over its precipice in the silent, unimpressible presence of earth and sky, if human nature is not there with its destinies and its unhappiness? How joyless to plunge into this solitude of water and mountain, and to have no one to whom to pour out the feelings inspired by the magnificent spectacle, to have the waves, the rocks, the woods and torrents for oneself alone, give a companion to the soul and the smiling verdure of the hills, the fresh breath of the wave thrill it with delight, the daily journey, the sweet repose at its close, the gentle rocking on the waves, the soft sleep on the moss, draw forth its fullest depths of tenderness. My fancy plays Valeda on the Amorican strand, Simodice beneath the porticos of Athens, Blanca in the halls of the Alhambra. Alexander left cities as monuments in his track. I left dreams as the only trace of my footsteps. 
I have seen the Alpine Cascades with the Chamois, the Pyrenees with the Osiris. I did not go as far up the hill as its cataracts, which are now known to be only rapids. I do not speak of the variegated columns of Terni and Tivoli, elegant lines of ruins, or subjects for the poet's song, at Praeseps Anio Actiboni Lucis, the rapid Anio, and the sacred grove of Tybal. Niagara faces them all. I was contemplating the cataract revealed to the old world not by insignificant travellers like myself, but by missionaries who, seeking God in these solitudes, threw themselves on their knees at the sight of some wonder of nature, and received martyrdom while chanting their hymn of admiration. Our priests greeted the natural wonders of America and consecrated them with their blood. Our soldiers have applauded at the ruins of Thebes and presented arms in Andalusia. The whole genius of France lies in the double militia of her camps and her altars. I had my bridle twisted round my arm. A rattlesnake moved in the thicket, and my horse, startled at the noise, reared and backed towards the fall. I could not free my arm, and the horse, becoming more and more unmanageable, dragged me after him. His forefeet were already over the edge. Hanging on the very verge of the abyss, he kept himself from falling solely by the muscular strength of his back. I gave myself up for lost, when suddenly the animal, astonished at his new danger, made a great effort, and regained his footing by a quick turn. Had I lost my life amidst the Canadian woods, would my soul have carried with it to the supreme tribunal? The sacrifices, the good works and virtues of the fathers Jogues and Lallemand, or a burden of useless days and miserable chimeras. This was not the only danger which I incurred at Niagara. A ladder of bindweed enabled the natives to descend into the lower basin, but this was now broken. Wishing to see the cataract from below, I ventured, notwithstanding the representations of my guide, to descend the side of an almost conical rock. The water roared and boiled below me, but my head remained steady, and I succeeded in descending about forty feet. But here the bare perpendicular rock offered nothing to which I could cling. I remained hanging by one hand to the last tree-root, feeling my fingers relax their grasp with the weight of my body. Few men have in the course of their lives passed two minutes such as those I now passed. At length my hand lost its hold and I fell. By extraordinary good fortune I found myself on the ledge of a rock, on which I was much more likely to have been dashed to pieces. I did not feel much hurt. I was within half a foot of the chasm, and yet had not fallen into it. But when the cold and damp began to chill me, I found that I had not escaped so easily as I imagined. My left arm was broken above the elbow. My guide, who was watching me from above, and to whom I made signals of distress, hastened in search of some Indians. They pulled me up with ropes by an otter-path, and carried me to their village. It was merely a simple fracture, and two splints, a bandage, and a sling suffice for my cure. End of chapter 27